0: Uh, if you have your opportunity to you open it to Romans chapter 6 we'll take a look at the uh, whole theme of appropriate Christ's life summary steps and sanctification well thank you John and uh, that bear story of the great one it's classic did we flip on your little white switch there? Nope. Good. Yeah. So I'll say what I in response to the bumper sticker, you know it says God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. And that's not true, but God said it, that settles it. And if you believe it or not, it makes all the difference in the world. Right? So we learn to believe in that which is true already. Well I started uh, last night by say to you something that might have shocked you, but I said, make sure that you don't believe anything I'm telling you. That was perhaps an awkward introduction. I said it's your responsibility to check these things out on your own, but you know, you're discovering a lot of uh, wonderful things over these last few hours together.
1: Some little treasures to start mining and learning more.
0: And in fact, I I want to just say right on the onset here is I'm going to to cover this material called the summary steps to sanctification uh you know imagine there's so much that could be shared in this whole topic i mean just just in the notes alone let alone to be able to share from my own personal experience i'm going to tell you from the that that uh, don't try to remember everything don't try to get everything in your notes this is too much it's like trying to take a drink from a fire hydrant <laughs> But we trust and pray that holy spirit will just reveal into your heart that which is for you today uh, and uh, that you would have a takeaway just relax and enjoy what the holy spirit has for you but i have a second comment the first one was don't believe anything i'm saying to you my second comment might surprise you too and that is i don't want you to tell anybody what what you're learning i know you've been gaining all these new proud insights or And you might be so eager to go out and start telling everybody what you've just been learning. And I would really encourage you not to do that, believe it or not. I'm not saying that others would agree with me, it's just my opinion. I would just really encourage you to let some of these things really sink in to your life. Just consider doing that, would you? I did the opposite. I'm notorious for doing that. I sometimes say I'm the biggest perpetrator of secondhand revelation that I know. <laughs> so, um, the Bible says you're the salt of the earth. You know that? Yes, sir. And salt has a lot of important qualities. You need in this world, especially this last winter up in the northeast and <laughs> Midwest. But uh, one of the attributes, characteristics of salt, is that it, it makes people thirsty and when you're living out your saltiness in front of others, you're going to make them feel thirsty and hungry. Because they're going to see something that they really desire in you. And uh, you know who I hope gets the most out of this conference, the time that you've been here? Ironically, it's not you. I hope the ones that get the most out of this time are those who are closest to you. You think about that for a moment. Because if that was, were to be the case, then there's something that has been very transformational in your heart and life. They're the ones who get the most out of it. So that would be a wonderful thing if that was to become the reality of those who've been in attendance here over these last few uh, hours of time we've spent together. My uh, objective here in this, uh, this time, in this session, is to help you understand how we apply the message of the cross. And I would bear testimony, bear witness that there is no other message under heaven that has such a significant impact on my personal life and walk as more clearly understanding the message of the cross for me. And we've gone through a lot of things already that have helped uh, you to understand this with more clarity. And it's not always taught as clearly as it could be. And uh, Someone asked, mentioned that they appreciated that when I was speaking last time that I, I took some of the material that was previously just shared and tried to bridge it so we could see where it goes. And my objective in just sharing the wheel diagram is to set you up for God's solution, Amen. which John did so effectively this morning to talk to you about the line, what we call the line diagram, but it's essentially to try and help you to see how God took you out of Adam. A life that was separated and condemning place you in Christ. Amen. And the, the, the central place where that uh, transformation takes place is, is, is at the cross. We talked to you all about rejection, and Dr. Solomon <laughs> he wrote a book on it. And I asked him over lunch how he got inspired to do that, you know. And so I learned a little bit more from that. And, uh, you know, one thing I discovered. About that little book, Inns and Out of Rejection. I've, I've never seen a book more co- incorrectly footnoted or put in the bibliography as that book. And many times you'll read it in the footnote, will say, The Ins and Outs of Rejection. And that's not the title at all. The title is The Ins and Out. And you know why? There's hundreds of ways into rejection, but there's only one way out. And the one way out, through the cross. Amen. And you should always ask yourself this question when you read all kinds of material. There's lots of books out there, aren't there? Mm-hmm. <laughs> In fact, the says there's endless and tiring to the body with so many. But you should always benefit by asking yourself this one question, where's the cross? Amen. Where's the cross? Because mm-hmm. oftentimes a lot of material is just geared toward what we would call building up the flesh. Mm-hmm. And so, um the, the message of the cross, we hope, you see more and more how central that needs to be. And in Romans it says that uh, the, the cross says is the power of God unto salvation. Take note of that. The cross doesn't result in power. The cross doesn't become power. That's it. it says the cross is the power. Do you need power? We need power for living. We need a supernatural life, but it only comes through the exchange life through the cross. So it is the power of God and the salvation. So much so that even the Apostle Paul says, the preaching of the cross is foolishness to those who don't believe. Remember that? But for us, the preaching is the power of God, right? Yes, and the salvation. Everyone else would think, if you were to go to get some help for yours, Physical problems, you go to the doctor. If you have a psychological problem, you go to the psychiatrist. You don't have a physical problem as much as you have a spiritual problem. And you don't have a psychological problem as much as you have a spiritual problem, which is at the very core, right? And a lot of people, they start looking for solutions in all kinds of places, and they go everywhere. And uh, uh, the problem is, is, is they don't see... What is to be at the very core? What's the very core of their heart? Their need. Their need is for Christ. And so, most people, if you were to go to all these different places, and then you would decide to go to Grace Fellowship International for counseling, and, you, and they ask you, well, what kind of help are they giving you? And they'd say, oh, they're teaching me about the cross. You know what they say? They'd say you're nuts. <laughs> we you talked about it. they say you're foolish. Ah. Uh-huh. That lines up with the verse, doesn't it? The world says the preaching of the cross is foolish. But for us, it's the power of God and the salvation. So you're getting some good equipping here. I encourage you to come to the workshop if you want to learn to become more effective in sharing some of these things with others. And the books are helpful. And you see, you just learn to become a good sheepdog. That's really what your role is. There's only one shepherd, right? And you just like you just learn to be a sheepdog because you nip at people's ankles, you get them going in the right direction. <laughs> so you come to further training and uh, John will teach you how to be a good sheepdog. And because people need this. People need to hear about the cross. And so it's my role and responsibility here to try to help you see this, how it gets worked out in your own life and the summary steps of sanctification. We could also title this Living the Exchange Life or the Abiding Life. And uh, John and Chuck both like to use the metaphor and imagery of the children of Israel coming out of Egypt. And uh, that they were on a journey, were they not? And they ran into some little snags along the way. So much so that a friend of mine wrote a book entitled Sidetracked in the Wilderness. And uh, in this discussion of the summary Steps of Sanctification, what we're hopeful is that we uh, help you to learn how to follow the map. <laughs> uh, Chuck kind of hinted at that a little bit. Uh, but I heard a story about of a young couple uh, from mm-hmm. Sioux Falls, where I live, and they were heading off to Minneapolis. They were dating, they were you know, developing a relationship with each other, and they wanted to head off to Minneapolis to go to the Mall of America. And they'd not been there before, and uh, he was driving, and she was the navigator, and they were just likely just thinking of their beautiful relationship, they're optimistic about the future and all of that, and as soon as they were driving along, they were driving by the city and got into the suburbs, and before you know it, they were getting out of the rural area a little bit more, and the fellow says this little beauty there, uh, I'm not sure we're heading in the right direction, and she said, oh, I'm sure we are, I'm positive we are, and uh, you know, they were going on a little bit further as they went along, he noticed that uh, yep. they passed the suburbs and <laughs> says, Well in kind of a little bit of a semi-politely tone, he said, Well, I think we're on the cornfield here. Are you sure? And she said, Absolutely. Look, right here. And so she pointed to the map and uh, and uh, she was so confident they were in the right place. And he says, Not quite as politely this time, a little bit more of an icy response. Well, these <laughs> look like cornfields to me. And at this point, she gets a little teary-eyed and frustrations built, and maybe a little bit of anger, and you only know, pull up the map, and she's pointing, look, we're right here. We're headed in the right direction, see? And she's pointing, and lo and behold, she was kind of right, and she missed a little detail in that the, the map, in the place that she was following was headed up to a corner up in the, a boxed corner up in the map. Which had an area that was boxed for how to get to the Mall of America, and here she was following the map to, you know, to the best way she knew how, but she missed that one little detail, and uh, so here they were in a situation where, in this case, it was had a happy ending where they they realized what had happened, and they had a little bit of laughter, and, and uh, Cupid came back, Cupid hit him in the covers, a little laugh. And they had uh, a good little experience together, so to speak. now the question is, has that ever happened to you before? Have you ever thought you were living and following in the right direction? Just as it says in Proverbs, there's a way which seems right unto men, but the way thereof leads to what? Death. You see, there's, there's a pathway that's going to lead to death, a pathway that's going to be life giving. And so often people don't start to experience that. all the different fleshly ways of trying to make their life work, and all they get is a stench of death, do they not? And so oftentimes we miss out important critical details. I found out just the other day how important details were. I was uh, texting a friend of mine uh, and I wanted to invite me and his wife over for dinner. and I missed one number instead of 359 350. But I got a few me text back. It said, the first response is, oh, I'd love to come, but I don't know who you are. <laughs> and, you know, I the, the information didn't get across because I missed one little digit, right? Uh-huh. And if I gave you my phone number, would you love my phone number? And I said to you, oh, in my phone number, there's a two and a zero and a five and an eight. That wouldn't do you a lot of good. <laughs> if I just randomly gave you Those numbers, would it? Wouldn't it help if you had them in some sort of consecutive order that you could understand how you can get where you need to go? I'm just frankly telling you, there are a lot of people who don't have a clue. Even a lot of churches, I should say, sadly to say. In fact, sometimes churches are causing a lot of people end up going further backwards than moving forward. Maybe I should apologize. I have a bad habit sometimes of critiquing I do. We don't need to do that, do we? We just need to be, uh, say what we, we have to say. but I take that back. One of my bad flesh patterns. So. <laughs> but I'm hopeful that uh, we can teach us more effectively how to read the map, follow the map, and in that map of course we have God's Word, right? Not just the Word, but the Holy Spirit will teach us and guide us and direct us so we don't breathe the Spirit, resist the Spirit, you know, uh, uh, that is not going to be accomplishing very much. But we as it says in Timothy that the Word of God is uh, all scriptures inspired by God and what? Profitable for teaching, reproof, correction and training in righteousness. And so certainly we use the Word of God as a basis and a source for for life. Uh, not just the Word alone, but also the Holy Spirit to direct us and lead us. You know, because it actually says in Hebrews four. All children of Israel had the word of God, but it profited them, them nothing because of their unbelief. Mm-hmm. So we need to believe. We need the Holy Spirit to illumine that and to make it real in our hearts and lives. So it becomes, of experiential, does it not? John has a wonderful story about a guy who was a football player, and he tried to convince himself before he went out on the football field that he could look for it, invincible, invincible, invincible. Invincible. I'm invincible. I'm invincible. I'm invincible. And he got up on that line with this great notion of possibility of thinking that I'm invincible and it wasn't more than the first down that he got smashed and he realized he wasn't invincible as he was trying to talk himself into being. Invincible. <laughs> and you can quote Philippians 4.3, I can do all well things through Christ who strengthens me till the cows come home. And if that's not united by faith, it will profit you nothing. It's just, about, it's just words, it's just words. And I'm going to say it again, this is not about information, this is about transformation. And I just trust that that will take place in your life and heart, as we, even as we're going through some of these things. And I would say that uh, it's amazing how hard-headed I am, how I don't get so many things. Sometimes things can be as plain as day, you know, and, and I've I, I missed it way too many times. I remember when I first started to get hungry for the Word of God, and I was I was starting to read it and take it all in and I would read Ephesians chapter 1 these beautiful words of the Apostle Paul who is trying to tell me who I was in Christ. Some of these kind of statements that we were just reading and saying amen one to another. And uh, Paul goes on for 200 and straight, 202 straight words before he ever puts a period. You know that? And all he's trying to tell you is who you are. You're redeemed and you're justified. You're forgiven. You're accepted and the beloved he goes on and on and on. And I, I was—I had this so bad of all of what I needed to do and be that I would take verses that were trying to tell me just who I was, and I'd make them out to be verses that I had to do and be, mm-hmm. though they weren't trying to tell me to do or be anything at all. So I'm just telling you that was the kind of filter that I had. I was so focused so in that way I just couldn't even take in <clears> that, and all these promise, all these words that were. Been shared up to now. Not just the identification message, but the things that were shared about the cross and what God has made to be in Christ. A lot of them are not even promises, they're not commands, they're simply facts. John is, however, the first deal you know, the of fact. The fact is this. And so, what the Apostle Paul seeks to do in so many of his writings is he wants to remind you of these things. And one of the ways that he seeks to try to make this more practical and experiential in your life. Is he encourages us to keep to set your mind? It's an interesting how many times he says, set your mind on things above and not on things that are on the earth, right? The mindset of the flesh is death. The mindset on the spirit is life and peace. So there are many different ways that we can unpack this material for you. But we need to recognize so clearly what has already taken place. What's, in the, what's already in the past tense? What is already true of you? And so, we have a set of notes which begin on this page uh, 51, if you can clarify, which are, are kind of some summary steps that is broken down in the writing of the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 to 14. And if you fill in the first blank, uh, the thing that's very valuable for you to understand is the Apostle Paul wanted, he says, he desired that you know the truth. The first word is the word no. And it's so significant that in Ephesians chapter 1, he even praises prayer where he says, I pray the eyes of your heart might be enlightened, that you might come to see all the riches in Christ, all the inheritance that is in the saints, that is uh, of who you are. Like, for example, being a saint, right? Fifty-six times. In the New Testament it says that you're a saint, a holy one. Imagine that. And even Paul writes to the saints who are at Corinth who had all kinds of problems. They had more mess than you could imagine. But how did he write to them? He says to the saints who are at Corinth. It's a fact. The Bible says you're, you've been justified by faith. You, and you have to accept that by faith. And you are um, not only crucified with birth, it says you are accepted. How oh, do you have to accept that? by faith. That's a fact. You have been forgiven. You are reconciled to God. You've been crucified with Christ. You accept that by faith. It's a fact. It's all in the past tense. So Paul is saying that, know this to be true. Accept this to be true. That's your starting point right there. Even we're sanctified by faith. Isn't that wonderful? That's the, one of the core messages of GFI. We're not just justified by faith, but we're sanctified by faith. You can try to go and make all the sanctification work in all the ways you want, and if it's not by faith, you're going to have more of those doubts, right? That, that uh, Dr. Solomon was talking about. So you can't be more loved and forgiven and accepted than you are today. Imagine that. Just, just that alone. That's a fact. God did that for you. It's all based on that word, know. Remember last night I said, the truth shall set you free, and how error will put you into bondage? I didn't fully and accurately quote that verse. It really says uh, that knowing this, knowing to know this, that the truth shall set you free. Literally it says, uh, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. So the knowing is very important. Just like in Romans 8, 28, it's not that God causes all things to work together for good. The accurate quote of the book, the verse is, And we know. You know? And the word know, if you can break that down more so, it's a very intimate kind of knowing that starts to take place in your life. You know what is true. You know how God is working all things up together for good because you know that he loves you. And the emphasis on knowing here, on uh, this passage in Romans chapter 6, what he wants you to know in this case just like these other verses it's known this that the old man has been crucified Ch- cherry did a nice job on that just say i I have a new future in this eternal you know what i also have i have a new past. what a difference that makes for so many people's lives as john would say we were legally guilty spiritually corrupted and we had sinful tendencies that was my identity that's who i was that was my position but that old man, as we said last night, did not to be improved. It did not just need to be forgiven. That it needed to be crucified, and I needed a whole new life. And God made that possible. As I said, God arranged for your death. That's what needed to be done. He did that. <clears throat> he did something that I could not do, and He made me something that I never was before. I don't know if you realize that. Christian life is not just that you've been forgiven, but God made you something that you never were before. Think about that as part of your starting point, which I mentioned last night. It's a fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy. The prophets Ezekiel and Jeremiah were, they say to you, God am going to give you a new spirit, and now I'm going to put my spirit in you." Isn't that wonderful? You see, God could not dwell in an unholy temple, could He? So He had to give you a new spirit. He had to make you a new creation. And then he put his very spirit and life in you. You are the temple of God. Individually, you're the temple of God. The word temple is used in the singular and the plural in the New Testament. Both. So you're the temple of God, but all together, you know what we make up? The temple of God. Imagine that. God dwelling in us to reflect his very glory. In this world today... You may be the only Jesus that some people will ever get to know. He changed your identity. He made you something you never were before, and he even gave you new tendencies. Remember he said we had sinful tendencies? You know what you have now? You have godly tendencies. Whether really you actually see it demonstrated in your life and experience it in your feeling it's true. It's a fact. Now, he doesn't just say that in... Chapter 6, verse 6, but the dynamic of this, I have been crucified with Christ, the tense that's written in say this. So it's a one time experience in the past tense. The ongoing effect of it continues on. It's so amazing, we don't even have a tense in the English language that can define it that way. But in the Greek it does. It's a one time event, and the ongoing reality of it can be yours. If you let it be, if you choose to be. Isn't that wonderful? Here's a dynamic. The Bible says you are to be strong in the Lord and the strength of His mind. You know? Do you know you don't have to try to be strong? You don't have to pray for strength because you're already strong in the Lord. So you know what you do? You choose to be strong. You know? This is a whole, it's a whole different world. In Christ, you see, before you came to Christ, you didn't really have a choice. Do you know that? Isn't that true? Because if you're in the flesh... You just think you have a choice because you just have different versions of how you're going to live out your flesh. But now that you have Christ, you know what you really have now for the first time? You have a choice. And with that choice, you can choose to be strong. You can choose to be at rest. You can choose to trust. You can choose to love John as hard as he is to love, you know? Or you can choose to love me as hard as I have to love. You know, try that over but, you know, it's a wonderful thing when God has set into motion for us and it starts right here. Know this, know this to be true. And it starts at the cross. And that's why with would say to you as I did earlier, God has done all these things to you, including giving you a new tendency, new disposition. Even, you know, even when God gave a lot to Moses to give and Deuteronomy, you know he says? Oh, that I, my people would have a heart to love me. Isn't that interesting? Even when the law was given, God's greatest desire was that you would have heart for him and see him for who he is. And what Kathy Saw said at all, you know, it's, it's through the cross, that's where he showed us love. I mean, we could unpack that for hours and have a wonderful time and benefit from it greatly. But that's what Paul's trying to get at here. And he's trying to say this is what I've done for you, so you can live up this life. He gave you a heart transplant. <laughs> he changed you completely from the inside out. I counseled the person had a person maybe who had a kidney transplant. And she said to me, Do you know, as a result of having a kidney transplant, she had different appetites than she'd ever had before? I thought, Well, that's amazing. <laughs> that's almost even more true that God could put something in you and He could give you the desire to be hungry for the things of God, to live a holy life. The fruit of the Spirit will come. It's not like you're getting your teeth, trying to come now an exchange life liver or something like that. You know? No. God's promises are so full and complete. And I have totally just gone all over the place here. I just again, not say it. But, uh, I just trust that somehow we would grasp the importance of what the Apostle Paul is say here, the beginning point, that you know this to be That's the the essence of it. I heard someone say this one time, in order for you to experience the newness of your life in Christ, Holy Spirit needs to reveal the death of the old. In order for you to experience the newness of life, Holy Spirit needs to reveal the death of the old. That kind of makes sense, don't you think? You're going to be doing anything imaginable to try to make some things work until Holy Spirit reveals that to be true. Only God says they could come up with a beautiful plan like this. Uh, Colossians chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. These are the verses that follow right on the field where Paul says, Set your mind on things above and not on things on the earth. He says, For your life is hidden with Christ in God, for Christ who is our life, when he is revealed, we will also be revealed with him in glory. There it's so powerfully again, Paul is saying, this is what you need to set your mind on. This is true. This is your beginning point. Just begin to know this. But <clears throat> so many people will always ask, but isn't there something that we need to do? <laughs> you know? It's like, wait a second. There's a caption there, something, right? Yes, I know this. Well, that's the first step here. We will go on to the second. After all, it does say that there's steps, right? So we're walking, it's not as like though we're just standing still. We get to walk forward on this and move forward. There are some things that we need to do. I will not uh, suggest otherwise. But the whole basis for what we do is often misunderstood. You see, the Bible even says you need to work out your own salvation, right? With even fear and friendly. See, there's something you need to do. But here's the difference. Some people don't have a clue what it means to work it out. I personally you work it out in the knowledge of who you are. You don't think that's a challenge? All those verses that we were just reading one to another, do you think you automatically believe that, or do you need to work that out? <laughs> I think you might need to work it out, I need to work it out, but you don't get a path that, my friend. You too need to work it out, but we work it out from the knowledge of who we are and not what we have to be. So the way I said it, we learn to walk from the cross. You see that? Once you come to the cross, you need to learn to live and walk from the cross. I'm glad that God brought me to see the cross for salvation and you know, sanctification, my journey and walk with it. But it doesn't mean we're passive, but boy, you look at our eyes, you seem to be as active as ever. Engaged and, and just desire to cooperate with what God has for us. So then in Him and to trust Him. So, to me, that's not a problem when people all of a sudden want to kind of use these little I got you kind of verses that this is some sort of passivity or something to that effect? No, it isn't. In fact, I think it's very active. I have a a whole opportunity to be active and engaged like I never was before. So the second word is that we reckon it to be true. Another translation says we consider it to be so. Know it and then consider it. I think even the way it's written, it it implies kind of an activeness, right? I think this is very much written within that context. as I've heard John talk about it before, that it's not some sort of southern, you know, lingo like I reckon this or you know, I mean, I'm not from the south, but I know that you do that down here. You reckon it this way or that, but you, but you, you reckon it and you consider it because it's true. And this doesn't mean that you try to suppress your whole life. You know, I get, I have the floor here, so I can tell this story the way I want, right? and i'm suggesting in terms of sanctification you have to continue to believe what is true just like in some of the AA circles they will say that my behavior doesn't always define me right? and sometimes my emotions don't always define me also and we need to really know what is true so that we can start believing it and walking it and living that out but that doesn't mean you try to suppress your old life if you keep trying to suppress your old life you're just going to get more of your old life you don't suppress the thought, but say you, you replace the thought with what is true. One of the best illustrations I heard about that is the fellow who tells the story about the red-faced monkey. There was a traveling salesman in India, and he would go around and try to get people to buy this little black powder he had, and he'd convince them after a little, you know, promotional talk that he poured water into this little mix and stir it up so that they could turn into gold. And he had this slight hand trick, and he would sit the, the gold nuggets into the mix. And the old people say, oh, it's hard. They go. And so he gets some convinced purchasers, and they go away, just on the way. He hey, one more thing. He them back in. One thing I need to tell you before you go I said, when you go home, you stir that up, you need to remember, if you think about the red-faced monkey, it won't work. And so sure enough, people go home, they take the pot and the water, and they try real hard. That's the thing, well, you know. You get the gist of it. But it's not uncommon. You know, it's as though you try to keep focusing on the problem, what do you get? You get more of the problem. Is the Paul talking about focusing on your problems? No, he's not. Is he trying to get you to improve your flesh? Help get, get over your anger to the anger management course? No. The, he simply wanted to break it down this way know this to be true, reckon it to be true, and then that builds the basis for the next step. And that is that you learn to yield. And actually, when we're going through all this, you're going to basically see he summarizes all this in one simple verse, Galatians 2.20, that I have been crucified with Christ, right? and it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives. He's just summarizing all that, because when you know this to be true, he's also saying that Christ is your life, reckoned it to be true, and now he gets to the next point, he says that you, you, you yield. You yield your life because He is now your life, right? You might miss it if you don't know that Christ is your life. Sometimes you think Christ just comes into my life and it's only His life. But Colossians 3 4 says Christ's life is whose life? It's my life. Whose life is it? It's my life. If someone gives you a gift, right? Someone gives you the gift of righteousness. Someone gives you the gift of life. If someone gives you a gift, whose, whose is it? It's yours, right? And you might miss it if you only just think it's it's his life, because it's also become your life. It's become your righteousness. You say it's his, but it's mine. And even said that in Galatians 2.20, doesn't it? It says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ, but the life which I now (laughs) live. Who lives the life? Christ says, I live. Christ. But the thing is, we learn to now to yield to his life. It's his life, but it's my life. And it's like this whole story of Augustine, where he used to apparently have lived a very immoral life, and one of his old girlfriends came and tapped him on the shoulder one time. And, and she said, Augustine, it is I. And he turns to get her, and she says, Yes, I know, but it is not I, <laughs> because Augustine really believed that was a, one of the forerunners, four the container of Galatians 2.20, Augustine would say, it's not I. Because he knew he wasn't what he used to be. It it's no longer I. He was something he never was before. You know why? Because God made him something he never was before. And so, just so the saints of old, we all need to learn what it means to yield. And uh, that's what we learn to do daily. And not just daily, we learn to do it moment by moment. Do you know that? Just like that old, old hymn we used to sing when I was a child. It didn't mean a lot to me in those days. It it means a lot more to me now. Because isn't it a life that we need to learn to live in the moment? If I believe in that so much that I don't, have, I don't care at all what you believe tomorrow, I don't. You know that? Because we don't have tomorrow yet. But I can care what you believe right now. Because all you have is the moment, right? I just make sure all we have is the moment. And if Satan can steal the moment, he's stolen all eternity. And if we go back to the very beginning of this whole conference, when someone came along and wants to give us life, and there's someone else who wants to steal, kill, and destroy, and if you're born behind enemy lines, which you are, (laughs) you know, you've got to run the falls of that, but you're going to run it not only minefields, you know, your whole life could be potentially just kicked it out. (laughs) And so all the more. All the more we need to see what it means to live even in the moment. And that's what guilty is. That's what walking is. We walk in the Spirit. And I've not even been a good walk. I'm learning to walk better in my life. I can't tell how many times I walk ahead of my life, you know, have slow down. And we've gone for a walk together, right? Kind like my friend Bolt up in Minneapolis. I don't say I ski with Bolt, I ski behind Bolt. <laughs> but you know, how can you carry on a conversation with anybody when you're always walking ahead of them or walking behind them? I think maybe J.I. Packer had it right in the title of his book and he says, "Keep in Step with the Spirit. Okay. Because I'm having to learn to yield to my wife so I can actually walk with her, you know? I know in some cultures they have that little backwards, yeah, it's kind of weird, but anyways, that's another comment another time. It's just important to you know what you're believing right now, okay? When is God pleased with you? Now. Yeah. How much of the old man was crucified? All. Right? How much of his life do you have? Oh, you can get this. When do you have it? Now. now. How do you have to accept all of this? By what? By by hand. Hand. <laughs> they had it already. We're just reminding them, right? <laughs> they remind you. That's what I love the Apostle Peter and some of his writings. said, I'm going to stir you up by way of reminder things. Do you know why? Because you get a big bump on your forehead like me. You I mean, know, the times you keep forgetting. <laughs> you need to be reminded. Fourthly, uh, we have the third one was yield. Just some verses to use, they're just following in the sequence, these verses in Romans, right? And I like what GFI does, and point number four, they use the word focus. I've never seen that done before, I've always heard it said, "No reckon, yield, and obey. So I gravitate sometimes to my own little way of thinking, but I'm going to just do that for a moment, I want to come back, I want to focus, again, focus, I think it's a very good word. But I like to believe and think that because of what God has done, you find people become much more motivated for obedience. Mm-hmm. I can to tell you something. Obedience was, for a long time, a word I didn't like. You see, I was raised mostly from a legalistic basis, always being told to be a good boy. And so I tried to be hard to be a good boy. And when I was at church, I'd hear the songs, uh, Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Now, I don't think I even got either one of those down, really. In fact, I could never ever figure out why people wanted to go to church anyway. I don't know why my parents went to church. Well, I couldn't figure out why I could go to church. Uh, But, you know, because I had to. (laughs) And it never made me extremely happy. And when I tried to get my parents to understand that, you know, it's a typical story where someone says, well, it's like eating broccoli or something, you'll acquire a taste for it. One day, you'll see the benefit." <laughs> they were probably right, but nevertheless, uh, obedience was kind of in a vacuum for me. I didn't know what was the very core that, that allowed that to go forward, that would spring forth in my life. And so I did my own study on this, and you can look it up for yourself. Nowhere in the New Testament you'll ever find that obedience means to be obedient to the law. Every time I find the word obedience used, it's obedience to the truth or obedience to faith. In fact, the word obedience is not used very much at all. In fact, I even uh, looked this up yesterday again. In Galatians 5:7, the Apostle Paul says, "You were running well, but who hindered you from obeying the truth?" You see that? And do you see how we get that out of line. How often do you get to places where they're just trying to get to the last night, the discipline, telling the less disciplined people how to live their life, and to be obedient? We need to tell people who they are so they can start acting like who they are. You know, holy people can live a holy life when you start to see that they have new tendencies, that these, these commands are suited to you. You see, obedience suits you, doesn't it? Because that's who you are. It will fits you. And I always was more inclined to resist the whole thought of obedience because I thought if I was going into anything, I want to make sure I could get this right, or mostly right, so that I can feel better about myself. So I would rather not talk about this topic because it would my failures, and I don't want to do that, especially publicly. But when I start to see God's basis for how obedience springs forth in your life, I was, I was glad to say it started a whole new. Perspective of new freedom and trust. It wasn't always based upon my performance, Dr. Solomon. I'll tell you a story. One time, I go back 30 years ago. I was trying to share Christ with someone. I went through the wheel of life diagram. It was the one thing I had at that time, and this person was unwilling to buy into it at all. She was smarter than me. She really was. She was a brilliant person, and she said, um, "Yeah, this sounds good, but uh, I don't know if I can maintain it." <laughs> I don't know if I can keep it up. Turn the pages over to the, the First Thessalonians 5, 24. It says, Faith was He who calls you; He will also bring you to pass." Right. And as a result of being aware of that, she gave her life to Christ. Wow. Mm-hmm. But she had to figure that out first. Like I said, I'm more the I'm more the vulnerable a kind of a easy mark. I'll just jump into anything that sounds good. But like she figured even that out, and it was a glorious step for her. Mm-hmm. And so. But that's because she could she see where where this was really going to go for her. So that's to be our focus. So on page 46, as we move to the next, uh, I think the focus is broken down with a little bit more focus. So, you just turn the microscope up, the telescope, whichever way, give you a little bit more focus. I wanted to fill in the blanks to these, and I'm just gonna leave these verses for you to look up, right? They'll mean more to you. If you look about yourself, and then on page, let's see now. Excuse me. This is my first time through this. That's right. Focus on the person of Christ in you. What a beautiful thought. This verse is brought up here. Fixing your eyes on Jesus, He's the author and perfecter of your faith. You fix your eyes on Jesus more than on these books that you were encouraged to read. Nothing against the book, but you know He's the author, right? The perfecter of your faith. Hopefully, the books amplify that, and give you a little bit more focus. Focus on your freedom from sin's authority. And see, focus on your freedom from law condemnation. I suggest that this last night, at some point, you're going to have to decide what you're going to do with this thing called the law. And uh, I was giving an illustration to a brother here earlier today about the law. It's kind of like, for some people, it's like, they put these planks, you know, the trusses come out, and they put the planks down, and you try to walk across the rafters very carefully so you don't fall through, right? I was like, that's how people have to live after the law. So just think of it. the fly went down and you can learn to to watch in rest, can you not? Because you learn to uh, deal with it. Uh, yeah. D. Focus on your stewardship, on your grace. If I'm not mistaken, even in Titus it says it's the grace of God, the kindness of God that teaches us to say no to sin. Isn't that interesting? <coughs> and so, you should have this clearly in your Inside your contact lenses, if you just keep giving laws to people, it creates more frustration and more hostility. That's as simple as that. The Bible says the law came that sin might increase, right? And the power of sin is the law. So what's your focus going to be? Yes, yeah, just giving grace is a little risky rather than putting more laws on people. You know the best advice I ever got to being a parent was this: that they said. That it's not your responsibility to get your children to behave, it's just your responsibility to discipline them. Now that may not mean a whole lot to you, but I through wife, flash, if I'm gonna try to convince my own kids flash to become conformed to obedience and all those kinds of things, you might want to say good luck. <laughs> because in reality, uh, I would rather trust grace than overplay the law. There's a lot of place in life that's I'm not trying to say that. But if you kind of to use the law to motivate people, then you're going to get back into that whole cycle that goes out of frustration and hostility. When that hostility comes in, you get a reaction back, right? Just like the law of physics, you get a law of equal and opposite reactions. You get one of those super balls and throw it against the wall, you know what? It comes back even harder, it seems, right? That's exactly what happens. You're going to get the reaction that you deserve, frankly. So, try grace. Try a little bit of lay miserah. E, focus on your new identity. Ephesians 2.10 1 Peter 2.9 One thing we don't even have just focus on the right concept of God. I can't tell you how many people have allow the concepts of God. i do do? I was talking to someone the other day who was talking to a person who was an atheist and they asked the person what the concept of God was and it was so bad, the person said, well, why, that was my concept of God, I think I'd be an Atheist, too. <laughs> you know? Isn't that true? <laughs> so many people have such a wrong concept of God, the wrong concept of God distorts all these things, that we're also trying to focus because we don't even have a very good starting place with that. Hmm. I'm flipping things upside down for people all the time. A person may say to me, oh, I need to become more committed to God, and I said, no, you don't. You just need to see how God is so committed to you. You know, you're flipping around because once again, before you know it, they're going to just get on a slippery slope. You know, more and more downwards rather than upwards because it starts off with the wrong focus of who God is. I will defend that everywhere, that everyone's problem is going to come back down to what is their concept of God. What they focus on. Because if you don't know have the right focus of God, you're not going have the focus of grace. You're not going to have the focus of point E, which is your new identity, right? And I'm a big fan of teaching identity. You know, for example, we are called the redeemed, right? But he is the redeemer. And what he's accomplished on the cross is redemption. So don't even, don't even take the concept of your identity and try to put it in a vacuum. It's, it's all encompassed by an amazing, wonderful God. He's saying say that earlier today too. Fifthly, F, Sixty, focus on your purpose in trials. Focus on your purpose in trials. 1 Peter 4. Do not be surprised. My fellow brethren, when you encounter various trials and tribulations, as though some strange thing were happening to you, it's kind of like that Jesus said, you will have trouble in this world. You have been destined, predestined for them. And uh, the beautiful performance of Romans 8, 28 and 29, nothing shall ever separate you from the love of God. That is in Christ Jesus. So many people get so focused on things other than Christ. One of the best examples I've used in Townsend, I use in counseling—I don't know where I got it—was I would take a coin, maybe a quarter, and I get a person to they close one eye and get that quarter and put it closer and closer to their eye like this, you know. And before you know it, all they can see is what the quarter. <laughs> then I go and take the quarter and I find the biggest wall in the room and I go and put the quarter way down in the corner somewhere. And I get that whole wall to represent, of course, you know, God and the extent that all of all who God is. And you know, that, that quarter looks pretty small, but it's put up in the context of who God is, does not it? Man? Do you know I know a woman one time? Her daughter was sexually abused, assaulted, when she was only three years of age. The mother became so obsessed with that trial, that circumstance in her life, as traumatic as it could be, for the next 15 years, her life and their daughter's life were lived in total uh, disarray, mm-hmm. all because they did not know how to respond and focus. She became obsessed. know, mm-hmm. there is such a pattern in life as obsessive-compulsive thinking, you know? right? <laughs> just like the person Dr. Solomon said for 40-some years living in the defeat for 15 or 20 years, could not get past that point. You know, no one wants rejection. But when we talk about rejection, the purpose is not to blame anybody for what's happened to you. But I'll say this. Even in the gospel it says it's not what comes into a person's mouth will defile them, but what comes out of their mouth is what will defile you. I challenge you. I challenge you all the more to take personal responsibility for your own life, not in of yourself, and in love Christ to be your life. And the testimony to the purpose of your trial will just give a radiance to the beauty that we need today. My brother Joe is telling me a few times how this whole world is such a mess that it is. You know, it was such a mess when Jesus came. He says the light came into the world and it was so dark that darkness could not comprehend Him. Imagine how dark it was there. The light of the world came. And they couldn't even see Him for what He is. But nevertheless, we live, we can live in the light and walk in the light because you are in the light. Just like you are the salt of the earth you're the light of the world. So that has to be our focus. Uh, how much time do I have? Am I out of time? Out of time? did a neat job of going through the little diagrams earlier. Remember the ideal? First attempt to see the cross? There's lots of different journeys, right, that people are on. And, and um, you know, you're at a place in your journey as well. And I just, uh, I just want to affirm in this, this last topic on trials and, and emphasize it again just how God uses brokenness in our life because <coughs> as a person who wrote the book called The Upside Down Kingdom, you know, we sometimes don't see things in, in, into God's mind. Even it says in Isaiah that God's thoughts God thought are higher than our thoughts, right? And we're learning these things. And as much as we focus on Matthew 11, it says, come unto me, all ye are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me, and what? Learn of me. So we're learning these things. We're learning about focus. We're learning about the cross. We're even learning about the purpose of trials. And uh, we're even learning about the need for brokenness. And... You know, when I hear people's stories, sometimes, and then at the end of all, they say they wouldn't trade anything that's happened to them, compared to what they see now in their life. They're my heroes. I got to tell you something. As a counselor, I have not gone through a lot of things, that I've seen other people go through. And some marriages, family life, health issues, and but there's so many people come to see Christ in their life is a beautiful expression. And through all that, they have their own personal testimony of seeing the flesh get weaker and weaker and weaker. <laughs>
1: and if God wants
0: us to learn to hold dependence upon him, is he going to make the flesh stronger or weaker? Weaker. <laughs> weaker, right? And all comes as a focus again on the cross. There's a lady that I counseled one time, her name is May, but she wouldn't mind me saying that. And I don't know why I asked her, Mavis, how you doing it? Weeks, thank you. <laughs> and I thought to myself, she's she's bad. I gotta tell you some of the different ways I can even try to end up being strong. My pride is still intact, you know, and I, I can put on a good front of time, especially when things aren't going all that well with my wife, you know. Don't like to be criticized in this way or her timing for this is a little off and notoriously my withdrawing pattern you know, sometimes I say I'd rather fight 12 hours with my wife than get 12 minutes before the Lord. <laughs> you get 12 minutes before the Lord. It's amazing. Especially so if you have the right concept of God, how He can work in your life. Walk across the room and give her a, a hug. That's a miracle. I've got to tell you. And you know that. <laughs> you know that. Exactly what I'm saying. How valuable it is. One of my favorite verses for the sanctified steps is from in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Uh, verses 7 to 10. This is what it says. It says, We are constantly carrying around in our body the dying of Jesus. So the life of Jesus might be manifested through us. And then it says, So death works in us, but life in you. Imagine that. You and your spouse get into some sort of a spat that even gets worse, and you got six little eyeballs watching what's going on. While you're protecting yourself and defending yourself, you don't have to pass on the little eyeballs? What? Death. That's all you're passing on. The mindset of the flesh is? Yeah. Death. Right. If you deny yourself, Luke chapter 9, the daily experience of this, a total application, it's not, that's not a one time experience, believe me. And it's not even daily, it's moment by moment. You deny yourself. Pick up your cross. When his cross becomes your cross, you see that? His cross becomes your cross. You know what you end up passing on to those little eyeballs? When you take up the cross? Yeah? It becomes a on And when Jesus went to the cross, you know when he sang that song? If he be lifted up, he will draw all men, right? Unto himself. He's lifted up where? On a cross. And if you go to the cross, right? You know what's going to happen to you? People are going to be drawn to you. They're, they're drawn to Christ. People will still be drawn to Christ, but because of the cross. And don't think that you need to bypass the cross. It's a daily life. Because The Apostle Paul says, Have the same mind in yourself, mm-hmm. as was also in Christ Jesus, who did not regard equality with God as thing to think of the grasped, but he emptied himself. Right? He humbled himself, and emptied himself, became to the point of death, death on the cross. And then God finally exalts him. Just kind of plain as it nose in your faith. Not that you have to go to the cross for your own salvation. That's not the point. But the message is how his cross could become your cross. You identify with his cross. And when you identify with his cross, you get to identify with it all. How much has he accomplished there? He's done it. He's done it all. It's a finished work of Christ. That's the starting place. I can't tell you how many people still have not figured that out. You know, the Bible says, uh, He is the vine and we are the branches. He made it possible that we could abide in Him. One of the most precious ways this helped me to at least move forward is to know that that is true that he already brought me near. I'm all you can't get any nearer than you already are, you know that? And hearing hear all kinds of messages of people trying to tell you you can get closer to God, don't believe it. Because in reality, if I'm in him and I've been drafted into him, and people think you have you do more things so you can bear fruit and be grafted in listen. There's a power that's a thousand times greater to keep you there than anything you think you can do or need to do to keep you there. And your starting place, your starting place is that you're already there. Say this out loud with me. Say this I do abide. I do abide. See, that's true. That is your starting place. If you develop bitterness, if you develop anxiety, or any other kind of response in that way, it's only because you stepped away. Right from where you already are, isn't that interesting? It's like what do you have to do to stay in this room right now? Tell me that. What do you have to do? <coughs> nothing. Isn't that true? nothing. It's also about too hard to accept. Are you trying to say that Christian life is all about nothing? I'm not trying to say that. I'm trying to say this is your starting point. You know it to be true. Because I think some people can make a worse and a legalistic thing about abiding. You know that? Mm-hmm. Watch it. You watch it now mm-hmm. because the beginning point says what? I abide. I do abide. And apart from him we can do an So I say that to you for your encouragement and edification. That's your starting point. You know that, you reckon it, you yield it, and that's what God has made possible in our lives. And uh, we trust that uh, more of a reality in your hearts. That's it. Thank you for your attentiveness. And my prayer would be that just as the Apostle Paul prayed in Ephesians one, the eyes of your heart. Again, would be enlightened to see all of what he has done. What he's made you to be. And what he desires to do through you as you know, record, feel. Focus on these things which are already true what he's provided for that. Dear Father, thank you for these brothers and sisters. And I just pray that there be something that you would have for each one today that would cause them to be built up in you, cause them to see all the more the power that is in the cross, mm-hmm. the victory that is there, the choices that they have each day to be able to yield to you, to learn to live moment by moment, and I just pray that all these wonderful things that they might have even just been reading earlier today would just take root into their hearts and lives that they might bear fruit for righteousness, for the glory of God. We refuse to traffic in idolatry. We want to lay down our idols. We want to lay down all those things that we claim could be of value and worth and significance for us to so set those aside, to focus on you, that we might... Love you all the more, know you all the more, worship you all the more, and trust you all the more. It's all about you. And thank you to the cross. We've come to see that you've done it all. Thank you for the completed work of Christ. We accept it as that it's not what you've done for us personally, just like you did for Cherry. Imagine that in all the world, and you've done this just for each of us individually. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your love letters. Thank you for the fellowship, encouragement that we can receive through one another that we're not alone. for the community of, of, of grace and, uh, and life, and I just pray that each of these brothers and sisters continue to be built up in you, taught by your Holy Spirit, as they continue on in their journey, as they seek to follow the map that you've given for each one of us. And we trust you in it. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen.